Well, Lord, we just praise you. I feel the same praise. I just honor you and bless you. I honor you and bless you. We exalt your name, Lord. You are a good God. You are a, you are a good God. You're good to your people. Thank you that you make a distinction between your people and the world. I am so glad that that's who you are. I thank you that you're a God of provision, and you're not just a God who squeaks out a little bit. You're a God of abundant provision, abundant provision, abundant provision. I'm so grateful that you're a God of health. Oh, I thank you for that. You didn't have to take care of that on the cross, but you did. The stripes that were on your back, by that we were made whole and complete. We honor you and we bless you for that, Lord. We just look to heaven and we say we love you, we honor you, we bless you. It is our joy. It is our joy to worship you and to honor you. Just bless your name. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that not one person leave this place tonight without being ministered to. It doesn't have to come from my mouth, but God chose this mouth to be the one that spoke tonight. And in Jesus' name, I put my faith in the Holy Spirit, that he will teach you and train you from the scriptures tonight. He will do do that job. He will do that job. So the question is, will you let him? Will you allow him? Then you're in for a treat. You're in for a treat. Because the Spirit of God has been, wants to move, wants to touch, wants to change, wants to answer. And if your heart is open to receive, you will receive. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus Christ, the heaviness of the day, put it on the cross. The heaviness of the day, put it down. And now, such as I have, I give unto thee. I give you the peace that I have. I let it, let it fall all over you. Don't go to sleep, but appreciate it. Enjoy it, the peace of God, the rest of God. Your spirit needs to be at peace to receive the best from the scriptures. Thank you, Lord. Concerns about family. Tremendous concerns about family. If that's you, we just place that at the foot of the cross and receive the peace that you need there in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I think we're ready. Well, when we left off uh, a week ago, we left off with Rahab. Rahab, to me, was a joy to study. To find out that she had a divine encounter with two spies. You couldn't convince me otherwise. I am totally 100% convinced there was no haphazard meeting This was a divine appointment by God himself. We also saw that 
there was the beginning of something very special happening in the bargain, the Hesed bargain that the spies made with Rahab. They told her to put a red cord and hang it out the window. And even though the battle plan was to take down the entire wall, that she would be safe. That's exactly what God did in Egypt. That's what he did. He set his people apart from the world. And we're seeing that develop. Okay. We're in chapter 3. I'm going to read a little bit. Then Joshua arose early in the morning. Now let me stop right there. This should be probably day 2. It doesn't specify that. But day one, we have to remember what the Lord had said. He said, my, my servant Moses is dead, therefore arise and cross this Jordan. He has a direction. And then Joshua arose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. And it came about at the end of three days that the officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. We're going to look into getting across the Jordan River. This is the real promised land. This is the story of the real promised land and getting there. You and I have a promised land also. I read about it in the New Testament. I read what God has provided for me. And this should give us direction in how to put our hands on, manifest those things here in the earth. Joshua had enough sense to know that God has talked to him and given him two directions. Arise, And take these people across the river. He had to decide that he would follow God's direction and step into the position of authority, which he did. And then he had to get these people across the river. Now, get these people across the river doesn't tell you the plan. But he was distanced from the river at the time in Shittim. And so he did what he knew how to do as much as he could do, and it's called faith. He picked them all up and moved them right next to the river. He didn't have the plan to cross the river. He has seen that happen once. He saw that at the Red Sea, but he doesn't have the plan. So he positioned himself to follow God's direction without delay. And he went as far as he could go with the knowledge that he had. There is wisdom in that statement. When God presses us or gives us direction, take it as far as you can go. 
you may not have the whole plan or all the money or the whole ball of wax. Take it as far as you can go. There was a three-day preparation to gather food, consecrate the people, and wait on the direction of the Lord. Now, if we think back, we could come to wrong conclusions. We might look at the group of Israelites that are with Joshua and say, well, this is old hat. They all remember when the Red Sea was parted. We're forgetting a very important thing. These people have been for 40 years in the wilderness. And everybody over age 20, when they came out of Egypt, all of those people have died off. So the only people who remember by experience crossing the Red Sea were young people, little kiddos, preteens, teenagers, who are now in their 60s and 70s. So they may have some input, but it's not anything that is fresh in their memory at all. They have three days to prepare. Now Joshua moved them right next to the the water. And we mentioned last week that this body of water was at flood stage. And at the crossing point, it was as wide as a football field is long. That's a pretty good distance to try to move about 60 or 70,000 people across that piece of territory. Well, I forgot that. Wait a minute. I want to get that in in correctly. They're standing there, and they're looking at at the water. And as they're looking at the water, they are confronted with a major obstacle. The major obstacle is huge body of water. How do we get across? I remember my first trip to Africa. I had a, I had the same experience that they had. They had three days to wait, three days to prepare, and they walked out of their tent, and what did they see? The body of water, the obstacle. When I went to Africa the first time, I went under the help and direction of a previous pastor. And there had been maybe three telephone conversations with a little man on the other end of that phone. And I had had known in my spirit that I was going to Africa. I I was prepared in my spirit to go. And when the opportunity came, it wasn't going to pass me by. I was going, and that, that was all there was to it. I did my preparation as quick as I could, got on the plane, and for the next, how long, how many hours is it to get? 
Well, there was a layover. So there's there a lot of hours here. About 24 hours. For 24 hours, every half an hour, my brain changed. I'd sat on that plane, and I thought to myself, oh, this is the most exciting thing I ever did in my whole life. God, you're something that you could use somebody, a little lady from Spring, Texas. And for a half an hour, I bubbled and just giggled in, in the goodness of God and thanking him. And then the obstacle would arise, like taking a look over at the water. And the obstacle that I faced was, I'm, I'm reading from Luke chapter 10. I had it open in my lap for the whole trip. Tell me, God, what, was it, what are my instructions? What am I supposed to do? I had no instructions from the Lord. I just knew to go. I said that you sent them out two by two. And I sat there and I said, why am I going by myself? What, what's, what's going on? How come I don't get two by two? And if I waited long enough, he told me. He said, I have a partner for you. He's a little, less than five foot black man. And I have talked to him and he will be your covering. Oh, that's good. So the obstacle seemed smaller. And for the next half hour, I sat there and giggled. And, oh, God, this is so good. You've got a partner for me. And uh, just enjoying the presence of the Lord. And then I would think, where am I going to stay? We never even talked about where I was going to stay. He said he'd make arrangements. Oh, the obstacle would come up in front of me. And I'd think about that for a half an hour. Another half hour goes by. Oh, God, this is so exciting. I can't stand it. And the lady sitting next to me is watching me. I'm sure she thought I was bipolar or something. (laughs) But it was, every every time I would change the half hour, sometimes I would cry from joy, and sometimes I was crying from fear because I didn't have any answers. I had questions galore. Things like, what am I going to eat? I'd been to China. I'd been over there. I ate some strange things over there. I had to eat raw squid one day, and I couldn't even get my teeth in it. I had to swallow it whole. I ate an eyeball of a fish, all just to to not offend anybody. You do what you have to do. And I'm thinking, I can eat monkey. I can do this. And then I would get so excited. God, what are you doing with me? This is so just wonderful. Questions galore. The mind does great things. The mind is a tremendous little thing. Those people sat on the edge of a flood stage river 
And for a half an hour, they thought, there's the promised land. There's the land that God promised our forefathers. It's right there. We can taste it. We can feel it. We can see it. I'm thirsty for it. God, you're so good. You brought us all this way. You delivered us from Egypt. And the next half hour, they looked at the water. How are we going to do it? There's so much water. How are we going to get our carts across? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And then another half an hour, I'm sure they rejoiced at the goodness of God. And then the next half hour, they had their questions. Well, the question is, shall we wait till flood stage is over? They're they're not asking Joshua, but I'm sure it was in their mind. Well, if God can open the waters, he can open the waters at flood stage if he can do it at all. And the question, what if nothing happens? Joshua 1, chapter 1 and verse 2, God already told them. He said, if you'll arise, take these people across. Well, they're going across. There's God's word. What about my reputation? That's a biggie. That's a biggie. And God had already promised in the first chapter of Joshua when he talked to him, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I've been there at this, this kind of flip-flop, been there several times in my life. So excited at what God is doing, and yet scared to death underneath. Has anybody else ever been there? Yeah. Well, that's, I believe, where they were. They entered the promised land, and when they are going to cross that river, there's a big problem that's going to begin to take place. Up until now, they have had supernatural provision. They have had supernatural provision of manna, Every morning they would go out of their tents, they would find these, this manna on the ground, pick it up, and it was their sustenance, their main meal. Uh, I heard somebody this week say, Mrs. Moses probably had a cookbook, a hundred ways to cook manna, I don't know. But something that you eat over and over again like that, you do have to kind of vary it a little bit. But that was about to cease when they get out of the, the, over into the promised land, that's going to stop. It just so happens. If we go to verse 15 in the third chapter of Joshua, it talks about the Jordan overflows its banks all the days of harvest. It's harvest time, which means that Every fig and pear and fruit tree is producing their fruit. The vegetables that have been in the ground are coming up and they're ready to be harvested. God had, this is so wonderful to me to see the crops in abundance. God had that all figured out. So when the manna stops and they cross over into this promised land, there is going to be an ab- 
abundance of food. It presents another problem. Up until now, since they left Egypt, the entire Israelite family has been following a cloud or a pillar of fire. That has represented to them God. In the day, the cloud would be over the entire Israelite family. It would bring shade from the sun. At night, there was a pillar of fire that gave light, and it gave warmth in the desert. These are going to change. But the people are like sheep, and they are accustomed to seeing something to follow. And God is about to change what they are to follow. These two things are going to stop. And God is going to institute something different. They have already built, meaning the Israelites have already built according to directions from Moses. They have built the Ark of the Covenant. And this is the place where God was to dwell. This is the place they were to focus in on. They're going from a place of just enough to a place more than enough. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of stories here. And I haven't gone in another direction completely. I'm going to tie it all together. So just kind of relax and just listen to the story, okay? If Scott, Pastor Scott, can use movies, I can use movies. There was a movie that I saw that made a significant impression on me. It's called The Thomas Crown Story, I think. That's the name of it. Pierce Brosnan is a art thief. That's, that's what he is. He's an art thief. And he falls in love with Rene Russo, who is, works for the insurance company, and she works with the police to find these pieces of art that have been stolen, and if she can recover them, she makes a fee. They fall in love, and in order to win her heart and not go to jail, he tells her, I'm going to return the painting that I stole, and then you can't arrest me because... You will have the painting. And then, is that okay? She said, that's okay. So she tells the police. And Pierce Brosnan tells them, We're gonna, I'm going to return the painting on such and such a day at such and such a time. So you be there and you document that I'm returning it. We see the picture on the screen. And this is the surveillance room of this huge museum. So they have cameras everywhere, in every corner, on every staircase. And there must be 20, 25, 30 cameras, monitors. And we're all looking, and we see Pierce Brosnan walk into the museum. 
The painting that he is supposed to have stolen is a very famous painting called The Green Bowler Hat. It's a man's face. He has on a green bowler hat. Well, Pierce Brosnan walks into the museum with a gray top coat on and a green bowler hat. And I remember my response. I wasn't expecting that, and I smiled. But I sure wasn't expecting what was happening next. Before you have a chance to process what it even means, we see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, probably close to twenty of the same. We see them the same size and shape. They all have on gray top coats. They all have, are wearing green bowler hats going in different directions, and every monitor is picking up the same picture. They have lost him. And I'm looking, and I remember laughing out loud at how easy it was to lose sight of him when you just mix up and put a whole lot of people in there that look the same. There's a reason I told you that story. Add another story. This is after I graduated from nursing school. Uh, some, it was a three-day weekend, and we had been, uh, several of the nurses had been invited to go up to Maine to stay at a, one of the girls' parents' house for the weekend. Uh, a friend of ours that went into World Vision gave me a car. It was a, was it a white Cadillac? Cream-colored Cadillac? 1961 Cadillac convertible. And I said, I'll drive. <laughs> and when we got ready to go, these two carloads of people were going to go to Maine from Massachusetts, so that's several hours driving. I said, can I have some directions? This is what they said to me. Just follow me. Oh, my God. I have no idea where I'm going. So we got in the car, and I am stressed beyond measure because I'm trying to drive. They drove a white car. Do you have any idea how many white cars are out there? I have no idea where to go, and I was very, very tense. Thought I lost them uh, several times. Finally, we pulled up for a potty stop. And I said, I have got to change something here. There is nothing distinctive about this car. That's the word we're looking for, distinctive. There's nothing that makes it stand out. The other story, everything looked the same. Nothing was distinctive. But could I make something distinctive? In those days, I know this is a a very hard visual for you, but I wore cut-off jeans T-shirts with the sleeves cut off, long hair down to about here. I always had some sort of a wrap or bandana or something like that for my hair. I took a red bandana, went over to the antenna, put it on there with a bunch of knots, and sat back and relaxed as I was driving because 
I looked, and I, from a distance even, I could pick that car out real easy. I laid back. All the tension went from my shoulders because I was able to see something that that's the one. That's the one. Well, here's the Israelites, and they're accustomed to great big things to follow, either a cloud or a pillar of fire. And now they're going to follow a box. How do you follow a box? Well, this box has to happen to be covered with gold. And when sunshine hits gold, it's the rays of the sun are reflected, and it's going to be very distinctive. There's not going to be any trouble being able to find it and follow it. Isn't that amazing? That God put that all together, that they would have their visual and they would be able to follow easily. Okay. Let me go back and read. I'm going to read a a section that I read before, but I have a purpose for it. I'm going to verse 3. The officers were going to come through, and they were going to command the people, saying, When you see the ark, when you see the ark, this is very, very important, when you see the ark, When I see the presence of God, when I see it, it's going to require them to be diligent as if they were following a car with a red bandana. I didn't take my eyes off the red bandana. There was a distance between me and the car in front of me that I was following. But it was easy to keep that distance and easier to have distance than to be right on top of it. And it's so interesting to me that God says in verse 4, his direction, there will be between you and it, a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Don't come near it that you may uh, know the way by which you shall go. Don't come near it. That's significant to me because it shows that this distance, we don't want any careless intimacy. We don't talk about the God of the universe that deign to come down and sit in a, in, and be in a box, that just blows my mind, that concept that God would limit himself in a box out of love. That, I don't even comprehend that. That's, that's more than I can grasp. 
But I'm going over to Proverbs 4. I want to read something to you from Proverbs 4. It's going to take a certain kind of attention in order to follow along and not lose sight of who we're following. This is what it says from chapter 4 of Proverbs, starting at verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight, but keep them in the middle of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to their entire body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put a devious lips far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. And I wrote in there, stay focused. Don't be distracted. That's what it's going to take, is not to be distracted. At one point, while I was following that car with the, uh, the bandana on it, I was distracted. Everybody was have, joking and they were having snacks in the car. And I got real comfortable and real relaxed. And all of a sudden I looked up and there's no red bandana. All of a sudden I have lost focus. Thank goodness I did find the car. I speeded up and found them and changed my pathway that I was on. But it's really easy to stay unfocused. Again, I was in Africa. We had driven all day to get to this church. We got there late. And all day we've been traveling. I had to go to the restroom. The restroom is not like this. It's a 70-foot pit. And it has, well, this particular church was a, a new church. So the facilities were new. And it usually would have a, like a cement block like this with a hole in it. And so it, it's supported underneath the cement by the walls of, of uh, dirt. They didn't have the cement piece yet. They had a wooden, what do you call it? Uh, like a brace, a wooden slab that had, went all different directions. But it was supposed to be safe. I was just told to be careful and don't slip. That was my direction. I got in, and you do what you have to do. And guess what happened? My foot slipped. Well, when it slipped, it went between the wood and the dirt. So my leg was going down into the pit. And it's slipping more and more. And it was the left leg. The right leg was going that way. 
and it doesn't go that way. <laughs> but I was hung. I yelled, Jesus, and then I yelled, Stephen. And they came, and they got me out of there, and I heard the Holy Ghost as loud and as clear as I have ever heard him in my life. Do not be distracted. All day long, I had been focused on this meeting that night. What did God want to do? What, what did he want me to share? I was in the back seat of the car trying to stay focused hour after hour. And now, it's just what the enemy does. Get your mind on your cleanliness. I could have used two showers at that point. I walked out of there, and I said to Stephen, this is what the Holy Ghost just said. He said, don't be distracted. The ladies came over with water. I allowed them to just throw the water on my legs, and we went immediately in. I never have been in such a service in my whole life. I didn't have anything to do with that service. It was just amazing. People repented. People were joyful. Some received the Holy Ghost. It was, it was just a beautiful time in the Lord. All because of distraction. Well, here we are again. I'm driving in my Cadillac, and I got distracted. Distraction will make you lose your pathway desperately because you've never been this way before. You can't afford to be distracted. You've never been this way before. He says, carefully, let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. That's what he was asking from the children of Israel. He wants you to put your eyes right where they belong, which is on the ark, and don't let your gaze be changed. Stay focused. Stay focused. We don't want any casual, careless intimacy. Curiosity. What does it look like, the ark? What does it feel like? What's gold feel like? We don't want this. Because people die if they touch the ark. Even, what's his name? Indiana Jones knew that. Even he knew that. Just don't open the ark. Don't, don't, don't touch God. Leave him alone. We don't want anyone talking about there's a gray-haired man from heaven that lives in there. We want reverence. Just keep your distance. Just keep your distance. They had an obstacle in front of them. And the direction from God was, when you see the ark. Okay? Sometimes this causes consternation. Every person had to answer for themselves. It is the finger of God pointing directly at us. Wendy, when you see the ark, you move. Hildy, when you see the ark, you move. 
It doesn't mean you're going to see it at the same time. It doesn't mean you will move at the same pace. You may not arrive together. But whether you get there or not totally depends on whether or not you see the ark. It's a strong tendency to say to the family, come on, I see the ark, and I'll, I'll take you through. God didn't say that. He said, when you see the ark, when you see the presence of the Lord, then you respond. So this is a very individualized thing that every one of us has to deal with. When I see the ark, in my life, it has been a challenge, a good challenge, but a challenge. Not to look at obstacles, but to keep my eyes on Jesus. Is there anybody else in this place that finds that God is correcting you gently about once every week, every two weeks? Focus in. Don't get distracted. Keep your eyes on me. It is the pathway to victory. He said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, then, and only then, shall you set out from your place and go after it. But when you see it, don't dilly-dally. When you see it, go. Go for it. I've seen this in several people that have been around me that have been called into ministry. One in particular I'm thinking of was a teaching ministry that this young lady had been called to. And she had, for several years, she put it off because the children were small. She knew that's what God wanted her to do. We were sitting down, just talking, and the Lord brought this scripture up. And I said, when you see it, go for it. I'll never forget her response. She jumped up, both feet on the ground, and she said, I'm going for it. I have not been faithful in that call, but I'm going to be faithful from this moment on. She's going for it. She's reaching for it. She's going to do what she had to do. She put herself through a Bible college. She uh, is teaching in, in a very large church in Conroe. I tell you, you go for it. You make up your mind. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Well, what do I do with the obstacle? Isaiah 26.3 tells me what to do with the obstacle. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed... Finish it on thee, Lord. Why do I keep my eyes on Jesus? I'm New Testament now making an application. Why do I keep my eyes on Jesus? Because he's been this way before. The Old Testament, they kept their eyes on the ark, the presence of the Lord, because they'd never been this way before. 
in the New Testament, I keep my eyes on Jesus because he has been this way before and he can take me through and not have any disaster on the pathway. Hallelujah for that, I tell you. I'm, I feel a stirring in my spirit. If the Lord has talked to you about some kind of ministry, carefully listen to this, please. When you know that you're ready, go for it. When you know you're ready, go for it. What does that mean? Doesn't mean to ignore the opinions of other people, but when you've heard from God, the opinions of men should not make that much difference if you know you have heard from God. Well, let's follow down here. Verse 7. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. This is exactly what he promised that he would do. On the very first chapter, he said he would begin to exalt Joshua as he did Moses. All right, let's cross this river. We're all down in verse 11. No, I'm going to begin in 9. Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this, by the words of God, you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Gergesite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. And I don't care if I'm right, but I got through it. Behold. What does behold mean? Look. Pay attention. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe, and it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off and the waters which are flowing down from above shall stand up in a heap, one big heap, at the city of Adam. A-D-A-M. Isn't that interesting? First day in promised land, The place where the waters are going to be heaped up is called Adam, a dam. I think that's very interesting. Now that means a dam was about 30 miles. They figure anywhere from 20 to 30 miles upriver. It took faith for the priests, and the priests always get the brunt of this stuff. They get the faith brunt of it. They had to follow what the Lord said. 
So they put their feet in the water. They can feel the current. Not necessarily that they're up to shoulder height or anything, but they're in the water. And they had to stay there while God did his business. 30 miles upstream, where water has been coming down at a very strong force, he is somehow, we don't get any hint how, how he stopped it, but from that point, for 30 miles, there was dry ground. That's just amazing to me, just astonishing to me. We figure, well, uh, um, we figure, books that I've read to research this to find out how many people went across, approximately 60 to 70,000 people went across. If you'll remember from the first week, we found out that Joshua established the resources that there were certain people that were going to stay on that side of the Jordan and not cross over. And the herds and the families were going to be protected. And he asked some of the military men to come across with him and fight the battle. It is estimated from people who know much more than me that it took about 10 hours for Israel to cross into Canaan right in front of Jericho. Right in front of Jericho. Right in front of Jericho. Who do you think's watching? I know who's watching. First of all, the king of Jericho's spies are watching. You can't have that many people parked five miles from your front door knowing that they have had multiple military successes, what are they coming here for? There's only one answer. They're coming here to take you over. They needed intel. I am sure those surveillance people went immediately when they saw water beginning to back up. Oh, my God. And they're starting to tell their story to the king of Jericho. Already we have evidence from Rahab in the last chapter that the people of Jericho, their hearts have fainted within them at the stories of the God of Israel. They chose not to follow him, but Rahab did. And Rahab is a happy girl. She is one happy girl. She's in her kitchen, and she is just rejoicing. She's thinking to herself, this is the God that I have decided to follow. This is, they're coming. They're coming. Dad, come on in my house. Mom, sisters, brothers, come on in my house. She had a promise. She had a promise. She had a promise from God that if she would put a simple red cord What did the red cord mean? Set apart. It goes back to the Passover where the blood was applied over the doorposts and over the lentil of the house. The death angel passed over. And that was what it signified for Rahab. I am sure 
she went and looked out that window many times because she has a couple of days to wait before anybody comes. But she checked and she made sure she had already made a bargain. And the bargain said all of her family, her possessions, everything would be saved. Could God really do that? Could he do that? Well, some of you are real sure. He must be a pretty great God then. Israel has now passed the point of no return. They can't go back. God didn't have any plan for them to retreat. The waters closed behind them, and they were there. The provision of God, the supernatural provision from God, began to stop. No more manna, no more pillar of fire, no more cloud. But they had a new one. They had the Ark of the Covenant. Joshua had a pattern. And his pattern was to keep his eyes on God, to meditate. We saw the first week that we were looking at Joshua, we saw that when he was with Moses in the tent of meeting, Moses would leave and Joshua would stay and enjoy the presence of the Lord. He would meditate and spend time with the Lord. He would inquire of God. He would ask questions like, what's your plan? I moved the whole tribes over here to the, next to the water, but I don't know how to get the water open. Thank God he didn't make a major mistake. You inquire of the Lord. He could have made this mistake. Moses had a staff. God, where's my staff? God did it, did it a different way, but he got the same results. He opened up a body of water. You have to be careful to inquire of the Lord. Then you listen and you wait for an answer. And he obeyed quickly. As soon as he had direction from the Lord to move these people across the water, he moved them right up to the water. And then he found out God shows up. God shows up. This pattern is very important. We're going to see over the next couple of uh, times that we're together how very important it is. You can't take advantage of past victories. Yours are the people and always figure that's the way God's going to do it this time. You have to inquire for yourself. You have to get answers for yourself. And there is a, God gave us the direction in how to do that. I'm going to just repeat Joshua 1 verse 8. He's telling Joshua how he can know. How do do you know what, what to do? All these people, how do I know what to do? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Key. 
Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and you shall have success. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Well, what can I learn from the story of crossing over the Jordan River? I know this. I can learn carefully. Don't move till you see the ark. Not because somebody else tells you. You wait until God reveals it to you. And then you move in that direction. What can I learn? Jesus has been this way before. I can learn that. And I, and I can stick close to his presence. And he'll take me wherever I need to go. What can I learn? God's marvelous timing and provision. Oh, it just blows my mind. Everything was planned. Everything was timed perfectly. What can I learn? Keep your eyes on Jesus, not on the obstacles. I tell you, those obstacles can look pretty big. And if you flip-flop every half an hour like I did, just keep focusing in on him. And remember, always Joshua 1.5. I'm going to read it and we'll close from here. Joshua 1.5 says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. That's a pretty good thing to take with you from this scripture. Now, it's my understanding that next week, Joy will be teaching, and then Mike will be teaching. And after that, I'll come back, and I'm going to have another four weeks, and we're going to actually get to the Battle of Jericho and get these people settled in the new land. Okay? Okay?